Let us pray. Gracious God, this is indeed the day that you have made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. Help us to rejoice and be glad in the promises of grace and truth that you will share with us as we encounter your word. So now silence in us any voice but your own, that again we might hear your call. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, beginning at the 36th verse of the 24th chapter. Let us hear God's word. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The version of Covenant Singers in the church where I grew up was called the Fellowship Singers, our youth choir. And I remember an anthem we learned a long time ago that still word for word is in my memory banks. said, every morning is Easter morning from now on, every day's resurrection day, the past is over and gone. Every morning is Easter morning. That's what we believe. Easter is a day, Easter is a season, but Easter is a commitment and Easter is a calling. Two weeks ago on Easter morning, I made reference to the Easter of 50 years earlier, on April 14, 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated 10 days earlier. Back then, we included a quotation from King in the church newsletter, which I shared this Easter. There was a time, King said, when the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, 
It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. That premise has been on my mind a great deal these days, especially as a steady stream of articles and editorials and television specials have come to me and to us reflecting on King's death and his life and his legacy and the ministry of the church. I'm going to invite us to think about that in just a few moments, but I want us to do that through the lens of the gospel story we just heard. One word in particular, witness, witness. It's a troublesome word to us, or it can be. In the secular sense, it typically means someone who has observed something, a crime perhaps, and then has the opportunity or the obligation or the burden to recount what happened. Recounting what happens matters here. From a faith perspective, being a witness carries a kind of different freight. A witness is something many of us feel we're not and don't want to be. One who shares faith with others, often in ways that can be off-putting or certainly at least beyond our comfort level. That's what other churches do. That's what other people do. But remember that recounting what happens matters. In Luke, Jesus appears among the disciples after his resurrection. He shows them his hands and his feet to reassure them, but they are still terrified. Who wouldn't be? They think they see a ghost. He asks for food and resets the conversation. He launches into this massive teaching session throughout the whole scripture, recounting all that had happened. Then he reminds them that the focus of his ministry has been repentance and forgiveness. He concludes, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. The Greek word for witness is our word martyr. Remember that. You are witnesses. You are martyrs. Which takes us quickly to ultimate sacrifice, but that at least connects us with the risk that it takes to live as followers of Jesus, the risen one, to to share his gospel. You are my witnesses. Now, none of us are saints, but I've been thinking a great deal about Martin Luther King Jr. in this context, King as witness, King as Easter witness. It's worth pondering 50 years later, reflecting on that as we pivot to the question of what it means for us to be Easter witnesses. Now, in all this reading and all this absorbing we've been doing in the last month or so, two themes seem to emerge. One's positive, one not so much. One theme reminds us that King was first and foremost a Baptist preacher. And that his message, his work, all of it was generated from that place of faith. Scholars and commentators say we forget that. 
Andre Gillespie writes, many people still identify King primarily as a civil rights leader and fail to understand his Christian social gospel. As a follower of Jesus, she says, he adhered to nonviolence and a vision of the beloved community. Beyond civil and voting rights, he pursued a nonviolent moral revolution and a vision of a world without violence, hatred, war, poverty, oppression. And then she says, many still do not understand the fullness of King's dream, and our society has failed to live up to it. The well-known scholar Michael Eric Dyson writes, Faith summoned King, an ordained Baptist preacher, to the ministry. It made him a troublemaker for Jesus, and it led him to criticize the church, criticize the world around him, and in turn be criticized for those things. King passionately believed that a commitment to God is a commitment to bettering humanity, that the spiritual practices of prayer and worship must be translated into concern for the poor and vulnerable. And Dyson says, Dr. King would want us to live his faith, work to defeat racism, speak out in principled opposition to war, combat poverty with enlightened and compassionate public policy. So that's the first theme in all of this, King's faith. We lose that. We lose its impact the farther we get from his actual witness. Which takes us to the second point. What that faith compels us to do. For not only have we smudged those faith commitments of his, we have sanitized them and sterilized them in such a way as to lose their impact. Theologian Gary Dorian writes, after he was gone, the memory of King taking the struggle to Chicago, railing against the Vietnam War and economic injustice, emphasizing what was true in the black power movement and organizing a poor people's campaign, faded into an unthreatening idealism. King became safe, and ethereal, registering as a noble moralist. It became hard to remember why or even that King was the most hated person in America during his lifetime. What he was up against was not only resistance politically and culturally, but from the faith communities as well. Dyson writes in his lifetime, he was disappointed in the complacency of both black and white churches. King was rejected by white Christians who supported segregation and racial bigotry, but he was also rejected by white moderates who claimed to support the civil rights, but who urged caution in the pursuit of justice. Those were the Christians to whom he wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail. So here's the notion that we have sanitized King's vision, perhaps sterilized it even. We have taken the sting out of his critique of church and culture. Eddie Gloud, who teaches at Princeton University, writes, in so many ways, King's life has been reduced to the lead character in a fable the nation tells itself. 
The fable enlists King in fortifying the illusion of this nation's inherent goodness and coddles the country from a damning reality. Fifty years after King's assassination, Gloud writes, so much is unchanged. Racism prevails, poverty persists. Gloud writes, we have a chance once again to make real the promises of our democracy. It will require us to honestly confront who we are, no myths, no fables. Evil sent King to his bed, but he got up and kept fighting. We must do the same. And I read a powerful sermon from Raphael Warnock, who serves as the pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, where King served. Warnock preached this. Martin Luther King Jr. does not fit neatly into the official public narrative we Americans like to tell ourselves about our nation or the movement. Accordingly, the dangerous man who died in Memphis has become a victim of identity theft. Following his death, we replaced him and the more radical aspects of his message with selected sound bites that will not make us too uneasy. And then Warnock concludes, Fifty years after Martin Luther King died, America needs to hold a natural, national funeral for King, the faux King we have created, so that we might hear anew the real King calling us to what he called a revolution of values. Such a revolution would lead us to dismantle systemic racism, to invest in a high-quality public education for every child, early childhood development, universal health care, a living wage, and clean energy jobs. We should hold another funeral and bury the simple story so that we can actually build what King called the beloved community. Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses. That is our Easter commandment and our Easter invitation. No saint, Martin Luther King Jr., sought to do just that. We are not him, so our calling will play out differently, but it is no different. Kate, who we have baptized today, is called to be an Easter witness. Caroline and Harrison and Zach and Tim and Alexa and Dan and Hannah are called to be Easter witnesses. It is no different for any of us and all of us, Easter witnesses. Michael Eric Dyson writes that King was a man of faith who didn't mind making trouble for God. He believed his purpose in life was to bring justice to as many of God's children as possible while proclaiming the revolutionary power of belief. He saw faith as a tool for change, a constant source of inspiration to remake the world in the just and redemptive image of God. Our gifts are different, but our calling is no more or no less than that, to make trouble for God, to bring justice, to remake the world not in spite of our faith, but because of it. Absolutely, like those earliest disciples, we will be terrified. 
And like them, we will also be empowered. Every Easter morning, we say with great gusto, Christ is risen. And then we tuck that affirmation away for another year, and we must not. Christ still is risen. And because of that, we have work to do, important, urgent, hopeful work, to be Easter witnesses. Amen.